Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. As we come to chapter 6, we are beginning a new section in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you recall, Jesus having laid out for us the nature of true righteousness, from really, you say verses 17 through to the end of chapter 5, having laid out for us what true righteousness is, Jesus now uh, transitions here, he pivots a little bit to now explain how that righteousness is to be practiced. So we not only, it's not only important we understand what righteousness is, it's also important to understand how that righteousness is to be practiced. And so this next section starts in verse 1 and it goes through, I think really to verse 18. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to read all of that uh, this morning. And then we're just going to cover verses 1 to 4 in the sermon. But we're going to read it all so we can just kind of see how this um, section kind of fits together. You'll see common themes as we go. But just as a preview before I read it, uh, in verse 1, Jesus will give us the main principle here that will run through this section. And then he goes on to work that principle out in three different situations. Or he, he applies that principle in three different ways, to helping the needy, to prayer, and then to fasting. Um, so let's read again verses 1 to 18, and then we'll focus on verses 1 to 4. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fa that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's quite clear as we read through those verses that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to practice one's righteousness, to practice one's righteous deeds. There is a way that is perfectly consistent with all that Jesus has said about the nature of true righteousness, about the inward reality of that righteousness. And there is a way to practice righteousness that is horribly inconsistent with the nature of true righteousness. There's a way to practice even a good deed in a way that actually perverts it, to which it is actually unrighteousness. So let's, as we begin, we're going to start by just looking at the principle stated. The principle stated. So in verse 1, Jesus gives us the main point. The main principle, as I said, that runs through at least up until verse 18. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so the main principle that is given here, it is stated in this form of a warning. He says, beware, take care, be on guard. And this warning gets to the heart of the matter. It gets to why it is you do the things that you do, the good things that you do. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It is a warning against displays of righteousness, that is, acts of piety, acts of, that, are, that are holy, good deeds. It is a warning against these displays that are done so that others will see it and it is implied that they will then praise you for it. They will then think well of you because of that. It's a warning about performing godly actions in order to receive the praise of men. And this will be made, I think, crystal clear in verse 2, where the hypocrites were told they make a show of their giving so that they may be praised by others. And we'll come more to verse 2 in a moment. But so as we, we see this phrase, in order to be seen by others, we'll see that a few times throughout this whole section, verses 1 to 18. When we see that phrase, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about it means doing that in order to be seen and therefore praised, thought well of by other people. To be honored among men. And it is made clear here that such a practice of righteousness does not honor God. He says, for, this is the reason, beware of this, for, because, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Clearly, this behavior does not lay up treasure in heaven. It is its own reward, as we'll see in a bit. And so this principle here is stated in this form of a warning. It is stated negatively. Don't practice your righteousness in order to receive man's praise. That's what it's saying. Beware of such a thing. So it's stated kind of negatively, but we could state this then in a positive way. Namely, that you are called to practice your righteousness for the pleasure and honor of God. That's what's behind this. Why is it wrong to do it for the 
pleasure and honor of yourself that man would heap upon you because you are called to practice righteousness to the pleasure and honor of God, not man. What becomes clear throughout this section, our verses today and through to verse 18, is that disciples are those who live their lives consciously in the presence of God. It is him that you as a disciple are to be concerned with pleasing. It is with him that you are to be concerned with speaking or praying ultimately and of relating to. That's what's primary to the disciple of Christ. True righteousness is not concerned with mere external displays. And certainly, it is not to be practiced so as to impress other people and so that other people might then think well of us. It is not to call attention and glory to you or to me. That is never, that is not ever to be our concern as we think of practicing righteousness. Again, we are to live our lives in the fear of God not the fear of man. We are slaves to Christ. He is not a slave to us. We are slaves to him. We have died to ourselves. We live now to our Lord. We are not those who seek our own glory, who seek our own fame and a name for ourselves. The fact that we are told that God does not reward such actions. That is, practicing righteousness so as to receive man's applause. That God does not reward this implies that we ought to desire and seek after God's commendation above all things, and, and certainly not man's. As Christians, we are to understand, as Paul did, that it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. I think we can add to that. It is not the one who is commended by others or by himself that is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It is God's commendation that we ought to desire. In this section, Jesus is dealing with disciples. He's dealing with you in a very personal way. These words are meant to, to you and for you as an individual. We can certainly say that of all the scriptures. They're for each individual believer. But in an even more obvious way, he is addressing you, the individual here. If we think back to the previous section, when we see the words, you have heard that it was said, that is stated in what is a second person plural. So he's saying you all. We don't really talk that way a whole lot, but y'all or you all, that gets to that. You're talking to the crowd, all of you. You all have heard that it was said. But now as we get into verse one, this warning to beware is now in the second person singular. You as the individual disciple, beware of this. And again, as we've read through this section, as we'll see as we keep going in the weeks ahead, 
Jesus is getting to what you as an individual Christian are doing in secret, in hidden places, what you are doing away from the eyes of your fellow men, even your fellow believers. He's getting at what, what are you really when nobody's around? Why are you really doing the outward good things that you are doing? It is, very, it is a very searching section. It is a very exposing section. But it is for your good. It is for our good. It is good to be instructed about the right practice of righteousness. For that is, is it not what you want as a disciple? Even if it means repentance is needed, even if it means you're going to be needled and brought to conviction, it is good and it is loving of the Lord Jesus to instruct his people here on what righteousness is and how it ought to be practiced and to warn us about practicing it in unrighteous ways. As we think about this principle, there are probably... I would gather there's innumerable ways that a person could be guilty of publicly practicing righteousness in order to be seen by others. And it's not something that is just obvious, right? We can point to something like adultery and we can say very clearly that's obviously objectively wrong and somebody has committed it. But the types of things Jesus deals with in this section is not as easy to just put our finger on and see it. Again, it is very personal and it searches the soul and the heart. So as we think about these things, as you test your own motives and why you do the things that you do, consider whose gaze are you aware of as you go about your day? Who is it really that you seek to please? In whose eyes do you desire commendation? We live in a time of great performance. I don't think this is new to us. But we do live in a time of performance, whether it's our politicians who have been exposed over and over again, just performing theater. But even down to just the average person. And we have certain technologies that help us to perform. Social media is one of those things. Not everybody uses it this way, but certainly it gives rise to this. Where we can carefully craft a narrative of who we are for the applause and the praise and the likes of men. But our great need is to know that we live our lives in the presence of God Almighty and all others are a distant second at best. And it's not just our world that tends to this. As Christians, we're not immune to any of this as we battle with our flesh. Our own social media can be used to display our own righteousness before others. We post a picture of our Bible. But did you read it? Did you humble yourself before it? 
Or is this just a display for others? You feel better about yourself and now you can move on. But it could also go the other way. And this is where we see the subtlety of this warning of our Lord. We could also understand that I might be tempted in posting something good to social media to to enjoy men's praise. And so I am one of those who don't do that. And then as soon as I make that known to somebody else that I don't do that, I could be committing the very sin I'm trying to guard against. I enjoy the fact that you now know that I don't do that. Wow, he's a humble person. She's a humble person. She just, wow. It's subtle. And in many ways, it's going to be known ultimately between you and God alone. I can't know your motives. And I would suggest we shouldn't come out of this kind of a sermon judging one another's motives, whether someone, I'm just using the example of social media, but we could apply this to a thousand things. But whether someone posts something or doesn't, we ought not to judge and assume about people's motives. Again, the Lord is calling you to deal between you and him and to do so honestly. Again, there's so many ways we might err in this matter. You might have come to church today in order to be seen by others. In order to check a box, you might have come in order to just not have people think badly about you. You don't want to be asked why you weren't there, so you just showed up, you just came. Maybe you're afraid of what someone else might think. You could have sung so that you might be seen as spiritual, seen as a singer. And of course, as we think about these words, For those of us who quite literally get up here Sunday after Sunday in front of others, this warning is particularly important and particularly necessary. There is temptation to preach even so as to first please the hearers or to receive man's praise. I I don't know anyone who has preached who's not aware of that temptation or even after guarding against it and then receiving a compliment, having something well up inside that enjoys that praise. I think many have made a shipwreck of their ministry out of getting hooked on the praise of man. And so this is aimed at every one of us. And again, the principle stated here is that you are called to practice your righteousness for the pleasure and honor of God, not so as to receive honor from your fellow men. So let's move on to the principle applied. So the principle stated in verse 1, and then the principle is applied. It's applied to three different matters. Uh, first, we have here giving to the needy. And then in coming weeks, we'll look at prayer and then the matter of fasting. Jesus begins here with this giving to the needy, and he tells us uh, how uh, we should not do it. He tells us first of the wrong way to do it. So verse 2, he says, thus, so in light of the principle he has just stated, in light of the warning he has just given, therefore, in, in light of that, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now there's, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that anyone in Jesus' day literally blew a trumpet when they went to give to the needy. It seems most likely this is a metaphor. He's saying, don't call attention to yourself when you're about to give to these people that are in need. Don't make a big deal about it. He says, that's what the hypocrites do. They make much of themselves in this wonderful act that they are doing. Jesus refers to the hypocrites in three places. He does it in verse 2 and then in verse 5 when he talks of prayer. And then again in verse 16 when he speaks of fasting. The Greek word for hypocrite came from a word referring to play actors. Actors. Performers. It's one who acts. This might be someone who is intentionally deceiving somebody else. They know full well they don't practice what they preach. They know full well they're acting hypocritically. But it can also refer to one who is self-deceived. Someone who really does think and believe that they are acting rightly and uprightly. But nevertheless, it is a sham. It is a show and a performance. And in this case, it is hypocritical because these individuals are making a big display of their righteousness when in fact they are acting in unrighteousness. It's performance. It's for their own glory from others, from fellow men. Look, everybody, I'm doing this righteous act of giving to the needy. And it's hypocrisy because it is no longer righteous the moment they start announcing this to others to receive men's praise. This is not, in fact, in the end, an act of righteousness, even though we acknowledge it is a good thing to give to the needy. In terms of who he has in mind as he talks about the hypocrites who do these things, I think he still has in view the scribes and Pharisees. We saw that in the previous chapter and section that he's addressing the scribes and the Pharisees and their flawed view of righteousness. That's still here, though he uses this phrase, this word hypocrites, a few times now. In Matthew 23, Jesus pronounces woes upon the scribes and Pharisees. And he calls them all throughout that section hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites for this very thing. And so again, he's still contrasting the Pharisees and the scribes and their practice of righteousness, their understanding of righteousness with what is true. Of course, elsewhere in John 5, 44, he says of them, these opponents of his, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? They are seeking the glory of men. They are seeking their own fame ultimately, not the glory of God. And this was a barrier and obstacle to faith, to true faith. So in verse 1, Jesus said, anyone who seeks such glory will receive no reward from the Father. And then here he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So whatever praise you might get from men, if you display your righteousness so as to be seen, whatever reward you get, that's all you will get. That's the only reward. In other words, he's saying God is not honored by this and he does not reward this kind of 
behavior. This is not how righteousness is to be practiced by the Lord's people. His people are not out for the applause and praise of men. The specific matter mentioned here is giving to the needy. Is quite literally almsgiving. We saw this word a few weeks ago, and I mentioned there that alms is a word that we've probably all heard. We've read it in the book of Acts, but it's not one that's in common usage. The English word is derived ultimately from the Greek word for mercy. Giving alms was to give mercy, usually in the form of food or money. It's it's giving out of compassion for somebody and helping somebody out. So Jesus has in view here the way in which we help people and give to people. And obviously that's a very upright thing to do. We've seen in the Sermon on the Mount that the disciples of Christ are those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. And that this extends even to our enemies, as we saw. Just as God, in compassion and love, sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous alike. So his people are those who extend mercy, compassion to others, even those who don't deserve it, even to enemies. This is a good thing to do. And yet it's not hard to see how the flesh can rise up as we do such an act and enjoy the applause that we might get for doing it. It can be done in an unrighteous manner. Look at how generous that person is. To have a reputation for being generous. Jesus says, don't blow the trumpet. Don't announce all of your generosity. And then in verse 3, so you have the wrong way to do it. Now verse 3, he says the right way to do it. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says not only should you not announce what you're doing to others, but you shouldn't even let yourself be fully aware of what it is you're doing. Keep your left hand unaware of what your right hand is doing. Of course, this is not a literal statement to be literally followed. You actually can't literally do this. Moreover, hands don't actually know anything. The teaching that he's getting at here, and it was Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary that made this case and, and helped me see this clearly, and I think he's exactly right. What Jesus is saying here, he's teaching you to give and then to move on, to just forget about it. Do not announce it and do not even dwell, it, dwell upon it yourself. Do it in secret or do it hidden from others and to the extent possible, hidden even from yourself. And Lloyd-Jones points out how much harder this is than simply not telling others. We can keep others from knowing about it. And that might be hard in itself, but we could accomplish that. And yet, we could still be filled with such pride in ourselves. We should be very pleased with ourselves. I did it, and I didn't tell anybody. And we can think how great I am for doing this. 
We could keep it quiet technically and yet be filled with this desire for the information to get out so others might know about it. We could be puffed up with self-satisfaction and with pride. We can even use this and other things we do and create a bit of a ledger with God in hopes that because I do all these things and you know, God will treat me right and he'll be kind to me and then when difficulty comes... You know how some people will then turn and say, how could you, God? Here are all the things I've done for you. And this is one of those things we could put on that ledger. I've, I've given, I kept it quiet, but I've got, I've got it written down here that I know about it. I think that is what Jesus is saying to do away with. He calls you to give in such a way, to help in such a way that you scarcely even know that you've done it. You do it and you forget about it and you move on from it. Some people do take this in a nearly literal way. They will do all that they can to not ever let a soul know that they've given, whether they're giving to the needy or they're giving to the church or whatever. And I certainly think that's a valid thing if you want to do that. And if your conscience is convicted to that end, I wouldn't tell you not to do that. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is demanding here. When he talks about doing deeds in secret, and this is, go- this is repeated a number of times throughout this section. When he talks about doing these deeds in secret, it doesn't mean that nobody can ever, under any circumstance, be aware that you did it. If this was how we were to practice righteousness, then nobody would ever know that you are a Christian. We'd all be in the wrong to be gathered here right now because we're doing this in front of other people. So I don't think that view is, is really very logical or holds up. And I don't think it's consistent even with the Sermon on the Mount itself. So if you remember back to chapter 5 in verses 14 and 16, we are told there, you are the light of the world. Jesus tells us we're not to keep that light hidden, but to display it. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there, do it so that they will be seen. And here he's saying, don't even let yourself be aware you're doing it. So again, he's not saying all good deeds must be done in complete and utter secrecy at all times. The issue comes down to whose glory is being sought in the act. Why are you doing this thing? In Matthew 5, the verse I just read, why are these good deeds to be done? Let them see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Whereas in chapter 6, What he is condemning here is doing these deeds of righteousness publicly so as to receive praise yourself. They're a self-seeking glory. That's what he's condemning. And that's the world of difference between what he calls us to in chapter 5 verses 14 to 16 and what he is condemning here. 
Good deeds are to be done. They are to be seen. People ought to know that we are the Lord's people, that we are Christians. We see one another doing righteous deeds. But why do we do those things? Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 says, If you know that he, God, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Well, in order to know if somebody has practiced righteousness and to be able to therefore verify that they have been born of God, you're going to have to see that righteousness being practiced. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. And in certain ways, it will be a visible thing. We will be known by our fruits. So what Jesus is getting at here is our motives and our intentions, why we do the things we do. If you only give and help when you can be seen and when you can get man's praise, really, what is that to you? What credit is that? This is how the world operates. I saw something this week about the top 10 philanthropists in the world. We have a name for these people, a title. He's a philanthropist. Well, what's that? Well, someone who's just really likes to help other people. It's very debatable on that list whether they're helping, is actually helping other people in some cases. But we have this title. Here they are being interviewed on TV. They're being paraded around. They have a YouTube video. They're in the top 10 of all philanthropists, of man helpers in all the world. They're receiving glory. I don't know what else motivates them. But it certainly looks odd. Lots of people will give and help if it's going to do them good. Photo ops for politicians or just people on social media. Do it, get a picture, it looks good. People will like me for that. Businesses will make more money if we do this, good thing. If, and so if our motive is the praise of man, we're really no different than our fellow men. We are to contentedly help and be happy to give honor to the Lord in that. That the Lord might be glorified. To do it in obedience to Him. And for the good of our neighbor, for the good of one another. And then move on. We're not to broadcast it. We move on. It's on to the next thing. Barely even remembering ourselves that we gave help. What are we? Nothing. Even when we give money, what are we doing? We're just moving around kingdom resources to help another. Right? To help your brother and sister in need. Giving to the needy missionary or whatever. You're just shuffling the Lord's resources to other areas of the kingdom. We are stewards and at the end of the day, what have we done except what we've been asked to do? We are slaves of Christ. So this is saying you live your life in the presence of God. You give to the needy as an act of worship, obedience to your God, that he might be glorified. You point people to him along the way, deflecting any praise that might come your way. 
and you wage war against any part of your flesh that rises up in enjoyment of that thank you, that in enjoyment of the accolades that might come. You, you mortify that. Again, helping others is good. It's a virtuous thing. But we don't parade this around. We don't blow trumpets when we show mercy. We help and we forget it. May God be glorified. On to the next thing. Obviously, this calls you to check your motives when you do things, to check your desires. Do you desire God to be honored and praised? If you were to help a brother in need or a sister in need, would you desire that people would see that you are great and so helpful? Or would you rather them to just give God praise because God has provided them through you. You're just for them through you. You're just merely a channel of God's help to that person. So praise the Lord. It's clear here that God is not just concerned that you would show mercy, but also how and why you would show mercy. As we think about this, as we think about motives, as we think about our desires, why we practice the things we practice, why we might do those good deeds, why we might help another, why we might do any external practice of righteousness. If we think about desires, motives, I doubt there's a soul here who's not exposed as we think about Jesus' words. I've never met a believer who doesn't still in some form, in some way, battle with the fear of man and battle with a desire to be well thought of by other people. But if for you, this entire thing, your entire Christian existence is an act, if really you're on, when you're honest, when you're in that secret and quiet, you have no interest really in prayer. You have no interest really in helping unless you can get something out of it. If you have no interest in doing any secret act of righteousness, you just do enough externals to get by and to fool other people around you, then this is a very serious warning for you. Because Jesus says, you have your reward and there will be no more. He's telling us, God sees what is done in secret. Whether it's that prayer between you and him alone, or he sees what's done in secret or what's not done in secret. The lack of prayer, the lack of righteousness done in secret. And this is a call to repent of this. To see that this is not God honoring. You can fool one others. You can fool me. You can fool us. But you will not fool the Almighty who searches hearts and he knows all things. 
You need a fear of God, the creator of all things. Come clean before God who sees in secret. If this is all a sham, own it and confess it to God. You will not escape his judgment. This is a very real danger for people. We've been seeing this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Think of the scribes and Pharisees. I, I suspect for most of them, they really thought they had it nailed. They were righteous. They practiced their righteousness in the right way. They were children of Abraham. How dare you say anything else? And think of how the Lord exposes them and how they were actually damned. Confess your sinfulness to God, your hypocrisy to God. Flee to Christ for his grace and his mercy. He has died for sinners. He has died for hypocrites. He has offered himself the righteous for the unrighteous. He has risen from the dead and he will save to the uttermost all those who trust in him. You have need to be made new, to be born again within, that you might desire true righteousness within, that you might know the goodness of dealing just directly with the Lord and not seeking the praise and applause of men. Call out to God for mercy. And for everyone here who knows these things, who knows very well that motives matter, you know your hope of salvation is tied to Christ Jesus and what he has accomplished. And yet you also know that you struggle with fearing man, you struggle with pleasing others or desiring the praise of men. Where you are exposed Confess that to God. Bring it into the light. Acknowledge it to your Lord. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is merciful. Remember that Christ is your justifying righteousness. He has died for your sins. Not just the sins you repented of when you first believed, but all the sins you've committed since and the sins that you will yet commit. He's died for all of your sins, including all of your poor and lame attempts at righteousness, including the times you have desired and loved the praise of men. And as you confess these things to God, as you deal honestly with the Lord, be reminded of the goodness of living your life self-consciously in the presence of God. It's good to just quietly, between you and God, deal with him. To pray, though nobody sees you. To help, to give, to whatever it is, though nobody be around. You don't have to parade all of your works in front of other people. 
in order for it to count. It is good for us to live our lives in the conscious presence of God and to seek his pleasure and his glory in the things that we do, to ultimately seek not our own renown, but his renown. Not to make a name for ourselves or a name for our church, but to make a name for our God or to just glorify his name that is already great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you praise. And once again, we are revealed as sinners by your word. Even when we attempt to practice good deeds, our motives are often all over the place. We battle with sinful motives, sinful reasons. We know it's right that you would be honored and glorified. And yet we know that there are many times we also enjoy the praise of men or long for it. And we battle and we wrestle with it. I pray that you would give us victory. Free us from the fear of man. Free us from the desire for man's praises that we might seek ultimately your commendation. That we would desire to live with a clear conscience before you. Not just having a clear conscience before other people, but ultimately before you. Father, that we would speak and do that which is true and righteous, even when it's despised by the world. And we know that often it will be despised. We know that man will hate us. That there is such a thing as suffering for righteousness' sake. Father, free us from the fear of man. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you that you are gracious. Father, nothing... This so reveals our incredible need for your continual grace being shown that even as we do good things, we are often motivated in, by s sinful motives. And so how, how utterly sinful are we and how dependent upon your grace? And so we praise you and thank you that these are sins that your son has put away, that your wrath has been satisfied and quenched on account of the death and, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I pray that this would be our great joy. And even as we are exposed for our poor motives when we have them, that we would not grow weary and discouraged by our sinfulness, but we would remember the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we would rest there and then carry on pursuing true righteousness, which is a reflection, ultimately, God, of who you are. We so look forward to the day we will be perfected in glory, and this battle and struggle with the flesh will be no more. Father, if there is anyone here, young or old, for whom their Christianity is just an external religion, would you reveal it to them and break them of it? Father, may we not be those who seek to just impress and fool one another, but 
again, deal honestly before you. May we not be afraid of having our sins brought into the light, knowing that there we can find forgiveness of sin. Father, we do pray that you would make much of yourself, much of your name in our midst and among those around us. We praise you. We thank you for your many mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.